You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. What a difference two weeks make. I'm feeling a little bamboozled, a little hoodwinked. This is Caro. How are you feeling today, Barty? You know, I, I, I've gone through the uh, stages of grief, if you will, <laughs> mostly anger, and then, uh, I guess, acceptance now. And uh, is trade deadline a stage of grief? Because I'm, I'm on that stage now. I think that's the last stage, isn't it? Yeah. Is that, it's like, I think it's acceptance and then trade deadline. That's right, the, right. So that's the order six. it goes in. Yeah. Um, so I've been writing acceptance from the beginning, but I you found have. myself going You've backwards a couple of times, <laughs> specifically when I'm watching the team play. I think that's when I have the revert to go and I go back and I, I restart the whole cycle. One in six since our last episode, not saying we have a structure usually. I think it's a pretty free-flowing conversation. But this is, I think, going to be just a lot of therapeutic dialogue between two fans. I think we all need this in many ways. So hopefully through us, you will also find acceptance. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be easy. I'm telling you right now. Our last episode, Vardy, March 22nd, two weeks ago. I believe roughly, give or take, mm-hmm. things were looking good. The episode was titled "Beating Las Vegas" mm-hmm. because we we had we had just beaten Las Vegas. That did happen. Yeah, that really did happen. Um, after that, the Kings go on a road trip: two against San Jose, two against Vegas. That was the road trip. <laughs> they come yep. back home: two against San Jose, um, and one against Arizona, with another one coming. Uh, tonight by the time you listen to this it'll be tonight mm-hmm. it was you know even after losing twice to San Jose it was okay because then they get the split against Vegas mm-hmm. um, I don't know if we want to like dive into those games I mean we can a little bit because I think it was uh, I think there was I almost feel like you could take it into thirds you know sure. um the the two initial games against San Jose immediately after that win against Vegas, then the two against Vegas where they split one and one, sure. and then the last three games. I think as a whole, obviously the the record is one and six, but the actual game tape and the the game narratives felt very very different to me. Um, so. I don't know what it is about San Jose, but we've been struggling with that team all year. And this last week or these last two weeks were certainly no exception. Um, if, if I remember correctly, we talked about at that episode, how much these next two weeks we're going to, we're going to basically determine our fortunes for the rest of the year. And I think I said, you know, if they, if over the next 10 games, they could have something like a, six and four, seven, two and one record, that kind of thing, then, Hey, you're sitting pretty and percentage wise, you know, projected point percentage wise, we had the best chance of anyone at that point amongst the four teams that were kind of hedging for, for playoff spots of, of getting those points because the the opponent's records of who we're going to play against was so weak, namely, you know, San Jose, Phoenix, et cetera. And of course that, that's, 
been the absolute worst possible outcome, I think, short of that one win against Vegas. So those first two games against San Jose, um, I didn't think they played badly. Let's start with that. I, I, I think they generated shots. I think they outshot San Jose, if I remember correctly, pretty handedly, at least in the first game, probably in the second game as well. But Martin Jones was very much on those first two games. Yes, he was very much on as he usually is against the Kings. Correct. His high danger save percentage was 100. Mm -hmm. His overall save percentage was 968, which is pretty sparkling. Um, And then in the next game, his high high danger save percentage was 84 and his save percentage was 94. So he put together probably his two best games of the season, unfortunately, for the Kings. Yes, I think the Kings were dangerous in those games, but I still would have liked to see, would have liked to have seen a little bit more in terms of getting those true high danger scoring chances. But I remember specifically those two games, I kind of chalked it up to, you know, you run into a hot goalie, your personnel lacks finishers. You can kind of, you can still take a lot of positives from those two games. I I wasn't overly upset about that. You know, in two games, Martin Jones has 83 saves. What are you going to do? Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of, there's certainly some truth to that. I think if you, if you only had those two games, you look at it, you go, Hey man, he showed up against his former team. He maybe prior to that had showed some signs that he was kind of turning his game around, steadying it a little bit. They outshot him, you know, 40, 43 shots in the first, I think, and 44 shots in the second game. Handedly outshot San Jose in both games. Um, couldn't score a power play goal, at least in the second game, I think in the first one either, because it was only because Matt Roy had the only goal in that first yes. one. Yes. What are you going to do? Okay. Two games. Hey, you still, you're coming off a win against Vegas. You, you gave it a good shot. You outshot them. You played well, hot goalie. Okay. Take the positives. Like you mentioned it, move on to the next. Right. I think that was kind of. Yeah. A, and San Jose was starting to heat up. Mm-hmm. I would say right around this time. Um, they had started putting some wins together. I know they gave Minnesota a run for their money, including mm-hmm. one win. So they were playing good teams very well at that time. Uh, so again, just the combination of things plus Jones, you kind of figure it it is what it is nothing nothing is lost basically yes it's it's two lost games but the effort was there you know nine out of ten times you play like that you're going to win a game okay so you take it like that and you move on then you go and you play vegas that first game against vegas they lose 4-1 again i don't know how much how much stake you want to put in that i think most people would say that going up against vegas you're expecting to lose especially if you're this team um Interestingly, uh, King scored first in that game, right? And they yeah. had a really good first period, I thought. I thought they came out, they played really well, they limited Vegas' chances. They played with some determination, some spark coming off of those two losses against San Jose and not necessarily folding the tent against a superior team in Vegas. Correct. Come out, looking good, go to the first intermission, up 1-0, second period everything falls apart and it, it felt like just one after another even though there was a good amount of separation Riley Smith had his goal early in the second period and the last two were towards the end but it was all Vegas from that point on I didn't feel like 
really the Kings were doing much effective at that point. Um, I think uh, the shots were pretty even. Um, Laner was in net for that one, not Flurry. Correct. I, I don't recall him making a very tough save at any point. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. I think the Kings had all of, I don't know, 25 shots on them mm-hmm. that game. And I don't remember too many of them being of the high danger variety. I think Vegas outchanced them thoroughly. Yeah. You know, looking at the advanced stats, it was 50 50 high danger chances. Uh, in the first period and after that, Vegas especially in the second, really took it to him. Yeah. And that's where the game essentially gets settled because Vegas scores three in the second. It's 3-1 going into the third. Right. Yeah. So what are you going to do? You you played well against Vegas. I was upset in the second because I felt like they came out. They gave a good effort in the first. They showed that they could keep up with that team. And they kind of – folded like a house of cards in the second once Las Vegas kind of got on their game. And so that upset me a little bit, but again, right or wrong, I expect them to lose most of these games against Vegas. Okay. But then they redeem themselves. They come back the next game and, and they win. They play well. They, you know, they beat a superior team in Vegas, just like they had done earlier in the week. And again, they give you these glimmers of hope that like, they're they're a better team than than what I think they are. They they can find a way to generate this offense. And again, they had a fantastic first period up 2-0. You know, they come back and and then they switch it up a little bit because Carlson gets the first goal in the second period. And I started, you know, worrying again that like, here we go. Floodgates are gonna open up, but Kings put on two more. It felt like they were much more control. Vegas obviously poured it on in the third. Cal up to task, kept the game, you know, together, got a solid, solid win out of that. Yeah. I think, I think that was a win that the entire team would point to and say like, damn, we can, we can do this. You know, we can play with the, with a team like Vegas and we can win. Yeah. And that third period scoring chances were 15 to three Vegas. So obviously the, the pushback was there. Uh, I think flurry maybe had a game. He would, like to forget right i think that was the game where he made a couple of errors that ended up in the net um but but that's gonna happen that's right? gonna like, happen and yeah. and furthermore like the kings were terrific in the first period it was their best period by far um and this is going to be a theme or has been a theme and hopefully doesn't continue to be a theme for the rest season but i suspect it will be is when they start out hot it they're hard to beat Mm-hmm. When they're not playing catch-up hockey, they're hard to beat. And after this game, uh, my feeling was that everything I've been saying this season about their ability to bounce back, about their ability to play well, and especially the second uh, game in a two-game set has been, you know, their bounce back has been great. It's something mm-hmm. that's impressed me a lot. So I wasn't surprised. Like Vegas, as great as they are, the Kings have shown the ability to hang with good teams. And I think mm-hmm. – in, a, in an interesting way, the Kings play up and down to their opponent very much or have been playing that way this season. So, again, not overly surprised. I think the surprising element started in the month of April uh, with this team and specifically, obviously, the two games against San Jose, which, man, 
I don't know, yeah. man. Two worst games of the season. Is that a, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if that's. There was that one horrible Anaheim game that yes. was just was just and an the one Minnesota game. Yeah, and then they got blown out by Minnesota one time too. Right. So those two, probably. Yeah, <laughs> that's correct. And and what's interesting is so let's get into that that first San Jose game, okay? If you look at the advanced stats, since you're, you you've been mentioning them, Kings were actually slightly ahead in the expected goals for in that first period. Um, but and I'm I'm desperately trying to remember the goal. I might have to like watch the highlight to remind myself a little bit here. But Hurdle's goal, if I remember correctly, he was um, he was this was the high tip goal where Lazat kind of lost him in uh, on a high cycle, something like that. And hurdle was wide open in the slot, uh, tipped a point shot, got over Peterson's shoulder. Okay. It's, it's not a great goal from a defensive standpoint. And I think, you know, we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but guys like Blake Lazat rightly or wrongly, they have to play perfect games or close to perfect games. You know, if they're not going to show up on the score sheet, you have to at least do your job defensively because every one of their errors, every one of their bad shifts in my mind is magnified by the fact that there's just this crop of young guys coming up that inevitably are going to take their spots. There will have to be a roster spot that opens and the Blake Lazats, the Austin Wagners of the world are probably going to be the ones who lose their roster spot to these younger guys. And so their margin for error is much, much slimmer in my mind. So that was, that was the first goal. Nothing's, you know, <laughs> to paraphrase uh, uh, John Goodman's character from, from Big Lebowski, uh, nothing is F tier, dude. Okay, it's just it's just one goal. You're good to go. But then instead of them coming out in the second and the third and playing some desperate hockey and trying to get that goal back, the advanced stats just get worse. They drop down to 36% expected goals for in the second. And then the third, when they're already down 2-0, San Jose's expected goals for was 72.7%. Just utter lack of desperation. So I don't know if you want to chime in at this point. I feel like my, <laughs> my, my anger is just oh my God. unilateral right now. Yeah, I mean, not to harp on the advanced stats too much, but the chances are all San Jose in this in a game where, like you said, the Kings should be playing desperation hockey. Um I don't know how much of these stats I want to go through at this point. I think I, I'm a big fan of expected goals for. I am too. I think it's one of the best, most accurate stats that have come up, come out, or whatever, or have been used right in the last few years. I think Corsi's great, but I think right. expected goals factors in high danger, high danger chances. It factors in a ton of other things that I think give you a more realistic number or more realistic idea of. You know, it's not just about possession. It's about what are you doing with Correct. The possession. Which Correct. Is, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the main difference. I mean, not, not to not to be insulting to anyone who might be listening, but like Corsi is basically a possession metric, but expected goals for, expected goals against actually weighs in, I believe, the 
um, the value of the shots, if you will, like where they're coming from, how likely they are to go in from where the shots are coming from. So you can pile on, if you have 40 shots from, from the point, your expected goals for is not going to be as high as it would be if you had 40 shots from the slot, that kind of thing. So there's, there's a different weight attached, I believe. Yeah. Shot attempts is essentially shot attempts. Um, and then Fenwick's, I think, unblocked shot attempts. Correct. And then expected goals for factors and high danger chances. Correct. Correct. All that aside, seeing the body language of the team, I think, mm-hmm. you know, no metric can tell you, no metric can show you how defeated they looked in that third period, which is which is crazy because this team has the ability to come back. They've come back multiple times against better teams than San Jose. Mm-hmm. I remember tweeting like, you know, the Kings are a better team than the Sharks. And they in this game specifically, I thought they came out okay and they played like they were a better team than the Sharks. It just didn't happen on the scoreboard. So I think that was the alarming thing to me about this game. And But even so, like, I chalk a lot of things up to growing pains and I was like, okay, let me see the second game now on, on mm-hmm. this two game set. Let me see that. Let me see what happens there. Because uh, I'm kind of seeing a pattern now where the second game, the Kings seemingly show up and give you the goods. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Man, <laughs> I didn't see it. I did not see it in the second game. Again, and again, I've, it follows the same pattern. But arguably, not arguably, actually, if you look at just raw numbers, the score the score tells you it was a better game, but it was probably a worse performance by the team up and down the lineup in that 3-2 loss to San Jose in the second game. Yeah, because I, I – so I'll tell you again, the first two San Jose games, I thought they were bringing it, but Jones was just on. I felt like it was completely different these more recent two games. I think Jones played solid, but he wasn't a wall. He, they just, we just were not generating. We just were not pressing the issue. We were content to take single shot opportunities. And there really wasn't a lot of trying to get into the high danger areas and pressing the issue and, and really making him make as many hard saves as I thought they did in the first two losses right? The first two losses I would characterize as better losses, so to speak. These two felt like awful losses, like down and just not in any way desperate to come back, which was a new thing for me to notice this season. Like you mentioned, it felt like every time before, short of, you know, occasional stinkers here against Anaheim and Minnesota, when they were down, I really felt like they could still come back. And I just never got that impression in these last two games yeah. against San Jose. So even, you know, going into the third, it's still 2-2. And we have to, unfortunately, talk about the goal. The goal that is being labeled as miscommunication between Jonathan Quick and his young defenseman on the ice. At, during the time of the goal, Austin Strand and Kale Clegg. Much has been, I guess, made about the defenseman and I'm kind of surprised by this and I do want to kind of spend some time on this sure because we love Jonathan quick as much as any Kings fan as much as any Kings podcast but I was kind of stunned at how 
how much of the blame was being kind of tossed at Strand on this play. To recap, I think we've all seen it at this point, but it's a dump in by the Sharks. Sharks seem to be in on the forecheck first. Quick goes around the net to play it behind the net. He's on his backhand. And without looking up, he sends it to I forget I forget who he sent it to, but uh he was Gam- trying to send it to he was trying to send it to, to I know, Strand. yeah, but he ends up sending it to the first San Jose four checker. I think it was Leonard. He hits Gambrell, easy goal, one of the easiest goals this guy who I've never heard of is gonna score in his career. And again, stunning how quickly and how decisively that one play broke the team. But other than that, I want, you know, we've kind of talked about this on Twitter, but to me, I've, we both played, I've coached a little bit youth hockey. That play to me is on the goaltender. And I know that's, that can be argued because some people think, well, it's like a system thing or the player's supposed to know to go to the wall and it's like a set play. I, I don't, I can't imagine it being a set play when a situation requires your goaltender to make a decision based on what he sees. There was no sound from any defenseman from what I saw. Um, obviously, seeing is different than hearing, but I, you know it's pretty quiet these days in the rink. So mm-hmm. I didn't exactly hear anyone calling for the puck either. So look, John McQuick has a history of not playing the puck well. This is nothing new. Mm-hmm. I was just a little surprised at how fast it all went to Austin Strand, a player who is, of course, inexperienced, but who I'm hoping you think is is a part of your future to some degree. Um, I don't know. It, it was just it was just weird, and I didn't it didn't feel good in the post game either. Yeah, I'm I'm watching the replay of it right now just so I can kind of. So Leonard is the guy who chips it in. I mean, here's here's the funny thing. If you look at the play, actually, Quick does look up briefly, but he looks forward. He looks towards his forehand, where I think uh, Clegg, no, not Clegg, um, might have been Walker on the other side who who might have received the pass. Let me watch it one more time, just so I'm not mislabeling anything here. But basically, yeah, it is Clegg. I was right, yeah. So, so quick only looks up briefly to see Clegg coming down to what would be his forehand, right? And Clegg is a left-handed shot and he's not on the wall quite yet once quick receives the puck and he sees Marlowe farther up on the wall. So I don't think if anyone said anything to quick or anyone said something to him about giving a pass to the backhand, it might've actually been the Sharks player. It might've been just doing, you know, typical beer league bullshit where you're just like, sure. pass, 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 you know, and you're hoping the goalie's not looking and they caught him quite frankly, because he receives the puck on his backhand is looking towards his forehand, sees Clay coming down, but Marlowe's on the wall. Clay is not on the wall and Clay is a left-handed shot. So he can't put his stick against the wall unless he turns for unless he turns towards his backhand, but then quick without looking towards his backhand, just puts the puck there where Leonard is chasing down his own forecheck, his his own dump in. They're well before Strand is. Strand actually pulls up a little bit because I think he thinks the quick is going to go around to Clegg on the other side. And then 
Gambrell is just wide open in front with no one covering him. I, I also think Strand recognizes that he's not going to be the first of the puck, so he's trying Absolutely. to become a target in some other way. Uh, that's what it looked like. His body language to me was like, I'm pulling up, so yeah. you don't have to use the wall. But but here's the thing. Quick never looks at Strand. Quick no, never no. once on this play when he's about to decide to give the puck to Strand, never once looks to see where Strand is. If anything, he looks to see where Clegg is, doesn't like his options, and then immediately, without actually having any pressure on him from either direction at the moment that he receives the puck, just puts it in a soft corner where Leonard has beaten or Leonard has followed up his dump in. You know what I mean? It's I can't even call that a miscommunication. I really can't because I don't think anyone was communicating to him to put the puck there. My whole thing is this. You can't... Every goalie that plays the puck cannot be at the complete mercy of their demon and what they say. Absolutely. It's, it's not realistic, right? So, like, Mike Smith, as an example, this guy, you know, is one of the best passing goalies of all time. He launches 60, 70-foot pass saucer passes on the guy's team. You think he's getting some kind of direction from someone to be like, hey, man, you know, stretch the puck. No, he he looks and he, he makes looks. plays because he has the confidence to do so. I understand Jonathan Quick is not that type of goaltender. No problem. But at this level, I would hope that in case a young defenseman makes a mistake, let's say he did make the mistake, Strand did and, and said something or whatever, gave the wrong vocal order to his goalie that he's experienced enough to be like, no, I'm going to go the other way on this one. But I don't, I, the thing is, I can't imagine what Strand would have said. I don't either. I'm just giving a very like, yeah. e- even in this scenario kind yeah. of deal. Because, because there's no way Strand would have called for the puck and then pulled up. Mm-hmm. You know, like th- that makes zero sense logically. I think Quick may have heard something or thought he heard something or thought he felt something, but there was nothing there. He, the safe play for him would have just been to throw the puck as hard as he could on on his forehand, which was the direction he was looking, and give Clegg a shot to maybe stop Marlowe or whatever it was. But it just – it was a bad goal, man. It's it was a, bad a horrible goal. goal. It's a bad goal. It's a horrible goal. Yeah, it is. Because San Jose wasn't exactly doing a ton at that point to win. I mean, no, but but at the same time, they were they were ahead in terms of they were pressing. They were they had the puck more. You could tell that, right? The Kings had to weather a storm there if they wanted right. to win the game, and they and that's what happens during the storm, essentially. Yeah. So anyway, I I just feel like those two losses were felt like much worse losses than than the prior ones. And then I just feel like the lull of that, the defeat, the body language, just the overall malaise over the team definitely carried over into the first period of the Coyotes game, which... Which ends the game. Basically. I mean, that period is over by 15 minutes into the first period. Yep. Sorry, that game was over 15 minutes into the first period. Like, they, they just... That's absolutely correct. And it's yeah. not, again, after <clears throat> after going down 3 nothing in what was just a shit period 
mm-hmm. by every metric you can find. Number one, it's too hard to come back from that to start with. But the Kings obviously played a little desperate. I thought they had chances. I think, you know, you got to credit Aiden Hill there. He made some ridiculous saves. Mm-hmm. Keep that score the way it was. Um, the the blown offside or whatever you want to call it, the weird review. Like we could we could go on and on about that. The final uh, explanation from the NHL was that um, who had the puck? Was it? It was blunt, Bunting. Yes, it was Bunting who had the puck on the line. Uh, Garland was touching up. He, you know, Bunting. I guess made it a point or was very careful not to be playing the puck over the blue line that allowed Garland to touch up. This was the explanation. Okay. Right. Like yet you're talking about slowing the game, the frames down to go frame by frame to figure out what happened here. In my opinion, if you have to look at it that closely, it should probably count. I know it sucks. <laughs> I know it sucks that it happened to us, but the game wasn't lost on that play. Yeah. I, and I and I generally speaking agree with that because I don't think that that negatively I don't think that that play affected what the King's the ability. Right, they, they could have defended that play. Okay, it was it was a it was a standstill play. Bunting still receives the pass within a split second of allowing Garland to get back onside. Like you had ample opportunity to set up and defend and prevent that goal from happening. It wasn't a bang-bang play yes. where that offside made that big of a difference. So basically, yes, say even if that was truly offside, that still implies that you played poorly after that point, thinking that it was a true play. That, yeah. you know, No one on the team thought, oh my God, this is offside. It's going to get reviewed. Stop playing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was a power play goal. Yeah. Um, it was a rebound off a shot. Loose puck up front and uh, and Bunting put it away for for his hat trick goal basically. Right. And and let's say let's put that aside. Cal Peterson had to make three or four really hard, tough saves in order to even keep this game at three to one. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. That was a tough game. That was a very tough game to watch. The second of the two games set is coming up. Like we said tonight, as you're listening, it should be Wednesday. Um, but I, I guess we've got to talk about the post game. And that's, that's really, I think the story here, yes. you know, I think again, if we were doing this episode between the first two San Jose games and the two Vegas games, I don't think the, the um, tone of it, and the discussion would be quite as dour as what it is. I think these last three games have really, really soured me personally, and it certainly seems like it soured the team quite a bit about their play and what the rest of the season really means to them. And I think they came out in the the post-game, which I think was, you know, Todd McClellan has never been one to mince words. I think he likes to call players out in the media sometimes without necessarily naming them, but doing a decent job of making it pretty clear who he's talking about. Um, and between him and Dowdy's comments, I feel like the air has changed a little bit in that room. 
you know, tell me if I'm wrong here, but that's, that's kind of the sense that I'm getting right now. And I don't mean that like, in a Oh, in a positive way, like, Oh, they've really, they're really going to come out and get it next week or tonight. I, in fact, I feel like it's, it's in a different way, in an almost negative way. I think one thing I've noticed with McClellan this season, even like maybe the last 15 games, he's really like, okay, the kid gloves are off now. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. You know, he was very complimentary last season of everybody. He, I think he was very – went out of his way to talk about – to accentuate the positives, to always shine light on the positives, even when the team was losing. Um, mm-hmm. And even this year, I think, before the six-game winning streak and after the six-game winning streak where things were kind of like up and down. In fact, remove the six-game winning streak, and it's just kind of been this up-and-down season mm-hmm. in general. But I think now, and you know, the first kind of – shot over the bat was to Velarde when he called him out in the media weeks ago. Um, and now he's like completely, I think uh, Dennis Bernstein's question was, is, is he in, is Gabe Velarde in jeopardy of sitting? It was like, yeah. And he's sitting next game from all in, from everything we see. He was not in any of the line rushes today. He was just doing extra work after practice. So he's probably going to take a seat. I think the disappointing part of all this is that, our last episode, we were talking about these young players actually stepping in and filling boxes, and it looked like it looked like it was going to be very hard to figure out who to keep because there were so many young players doing so many good things. All of a sudden, like my fear is, and my anxiety is like too many of the young players aren't doing enough now, and everyone's job is seemingly in jeopardy all of a sudden. So that that transition from the high to the low from those two extremes is really jarring to me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't expect it. And I realized this is a weird season. It's a are weird season. Are you speaking season. purely on the NHL level? Or are you speaking of like the I am, NHL I am speaking as well? on the NHL level. Okay. You know, Velarde is the big one for me because I've been so complimentary of him. And to see him really ghosted out there for like 10 games, maybe less, maybe more. I don't know. But it mm-hmm. seems like the last handful of games, he's really been really fighting the puck like Anytime he touches the puck, he's struggling to do something with it. Where mm-hmm. he was very smooth early on. He was making the right decisions, seemingly using his high IQ every time. And he's a young player, so I'm not ready to panic. But at the same time, I am discouraged specifically with him at how how extremely different he could be. Like I knew, like I knew a rookie can struggle, but man, to go yeah. from one extreme to the other like that is a little alarming to me and and, yeah. and not just him man. um i think sean walker i've been kind of critical of and he's not exactly a kid but you know i think like right now my worry is like man is he a part of the solution for this team mm-hmm. or is he part of the problem like mm-hmm. i'm asking these questions austin strand i was i loved his you know first few games now it's like not just this quick nonsense we talked about but in general yeah. now you see like Man, do these guys have a place on this team? Blake Lozotte, we loved Blake Lozotte last year. Right. Now we're openly questioning if Blake right. Lozotte's going to be on this team. And and in fairness to all those guys, I'm not I'm not making excuses. I'm just I'm I'm asking questions. If I may, right, right. Um, I don't know still how much Walker's injury plays a part. I don't know how much Blake Lozotte having covid or seemingly having covid they never said whether he did or didn't but i'm assuming given that he was out like two plus weeks that he probably had some symptoms um and 
you know, with Gabe, I, I don't know if the injuries, if his prior injuries are, are weighing yeah, in, in any not. way. I, and I hope not either. I don't know. This is a problem. I don't have a lot of, of answers. I just know that, you know, okay. I, I would think in my mind that if it's a physical inability to perform or they're trying to kind of get over things that, that the team would know better than to rush them in and put them into these minutes, but maybe, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's just nagging stuff and it's not picking up, but I get the sense that it's, that's not what it is. It's not a, it's not a, I want to, and I physically can't kind of thing, you know, right. like for example, with Gabe's game, it's like, I think if he was just coming out and playing offensive hockey, right? Like the, the early knock on him was, okay, the defensive side of the puck, the face-offs, et cetera, like he's got to be able to play two-way. He can't just show up and and try to drive offense. Well, now it's like, I'm not seeing either. I, I'm yeah. not seeing, I'm, there's, there's a complete lack of effort, you know? Yeah. You know what's really glaring to me, and this was a knock on him was his draft in his draft year was that his skating is a problem. Mm-hmm. I didn't view it as a problem until recently because he's really lumbering around the ice. Mm-hmm. He's really again, you mentioned injuries. I don't know, but all I know is he doesn't have any sort of explosiveness in the last six, seven games. Mm-hmm. He's he's in glide mode. He, when he enters the zone, he could still gain the zone because he's so skilled. Right. But he just doesn't have that next gear that he used to have, you know, in that stretch where he was scoring in back-to-back games where I think he was getting 16, 17, 18, 19 minutes a night, which has dwindled down to like 11, 10. He didn't play a shift for the last nine minutes of of last night's game. Yeah. Or the last, yeah. So I guess the reason I'm not panicking is because we've seen that it's there Mm -hmm. and that it's, you know, it's a young player maybe going through some kind of issue in his first real NHL season. So no, like I said, not panicking, but I I am very much concerned because it wasn't more than three weeks ago where I boldly stated that I, I thought there's no reason why Gabe Velarde can't be the number one center of this team fully expecting Quinton Byfield to be a part of that picture. Right, possibly being the second team, uh, second line center of the team. So, uh, more, I'm less concerned about Velarde, but more of my concern is like, where are we completely going to just depend on on our prospect pool now to just do everything? I mean, it seems that way. It seems that way, right? Because, okay, so step beyond Velarde, okay, who you who you expect? Let's let's chalk it up to injuries rookie year whatever figuring the game out okay let's let's put them in that box let's take the Lozahots and the Wagners of the world and say all right if this guy doesn't pan out it's not going to make or break the team he's a guy that you hope for the best and if it doesn't work out that's okay because you aren't counting on a whole heck of a lot from this particular batch anyway so then you're left with Adrian Kempe for example right a guy who we've heard multiple times is considered as part of this team's future, is considered clearly as an important part of the power play, keeps being put into scenarios where he's a he's a top six winger. And there's nothing going on. Like the I, I may be completely wrong, but I, since that Anaheim game, what has he done? 
and at, at some point, you know, fine, he's a streaky scorer. He's this and that. He's he's still probably top three on the team in terms of scoring. I get that. But to me, respectfully, I don't – it doesn't cheer me up to know that he's top three. <laughs> it makes me sad yeah. that he's still – that he's still, you know, that high in this team scoring because I know that the bulk of that scoring has come against Anaheim in, in like two or three games. You know what I mean? This isn't this isn't like oh he's putting one in here and there. He had a goal against San Jose on the twenty fourth, and that's it, bro. One, that's, one goal, one assist. Yeah, since that's the two it. games. That's set. it. Yep. That is it. Since March twelfth to April fifth, he has two points, and he's been given power play time. He is constantly playing. If you look at his ice time, averaging in high teens, 17 minutes or so, being given every opportunity, and there's nothing there. That's a goal and an assist in 11 games. Um, yeah, that's not good. And also, like, he stopped shooting the puck. It's very odd. Like it's almost like directly after that Anaheim game where he had six shots on goal. Right. Um, he just drops the two and one for the longest time until he got I think he got four against San Jose. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm not a sports psychologist at this point because <laughs> but, but that's what I'm struggling with as well. I can't, you know, aside from the tried and true consistency of Kopi, who's still somehow scoring over a point a game on this on this team. Okay. Aside from Dowdy, who is still playing, I think, good hockey. Overall. He's playing great hockey, man. He really I'm, is. I'm really, he really is. Really and I feel terrible for him because I feel like he's really trying to progress as a player and as a leader, as evidenced by his comments. Yeah. Like, I think this is the best season he's had in a long time. Or seemingly a long time. It's felt like a long time. But right. I think this is his best season. And I think this is the first time where he's – actually being a leader and not just trying to play leader or think or say the things he thinks a leader should say i think he's genuinely like upset and i think he's speaking from his heart and and the right things are coming out of his mouth finally right but yeah so aside from that tried and true guy and your and your first line players like okay jeff carter has not done anything and you know, you and I had kind of talked briefly about how looking at it as pairs and it seemed like the Velarde Carter pair had kind of been something that they were, that they kept pushing over and over again. It just was not working. It, it hasn't has worked. worked. It hasn't worked for 10 games and they still Come keep on, trotting man. this out there. That's and another tried- thing that I, I like to complain about is like those, I know McClellan is, you know, we're still trying to figure out who we are and whatnot, but there's some stubbornness with the line combinations that, that sometimes aggravates me. Look no further than the Grunstrom Anderson Dolan uh, Moore line that was has always just worked. It's worked mm-hmm. from day one. It right. worked last game when he threw them together. Right, but for it, some reason he was insisting on putting Moore with Velarde and with Velarde and Carter, and that line is <laughs> atrocious, horrible, atrocious. I don't think they had a single yeah, controlled they, entry. Yeah, they they had like a I think at one point against phoenix or in the second san jose game i want to say it was phoenix like their arizona game yeah what was it there they had like a zero percent corsi i'd never (laughs) they were on the ice for zero positive shot attempts yeah that i mean 
it's I, I I can't I can't make sense of this. I really can't. I get that. Like, okay, so so does every guy have an excuse? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, if I look at every single person on this list, do I have to come up with an excuse as to why this isn't happening? Like, oh, Kempy's streaky. Oh, Jeff Carter's old. Oh, Athanasio, he's doing he's doing what he can. He plays well. I actually like FNSU's game. I really hope they resign him. I don't have a single bad thing to say about the guy. We'll see, you know? man. We'll see. I mean, Moore, logic. I think Moore's playing great. Yeah. I think Moore is playing really solid hockey. Had a shorthanded goal. It's just frustrating. It's very, very frustrating. I think the I think the frustrating thing is like the guys who are playing well. They're just not going to be there. Like. Yeah. Anthony Sue is not. Yeah, he's not a cornerstone guy. He's not a, a cornerstone guy. Even uh, Jad, Grundstrom, like they might be a part of this team in the long term. They very well might, but they're going to be most likely in the, on the bottom six. Mm-hmm. They can't be your best guys. Like God bless Kopitar and Brown, but how long, right? That's. Yeah. I know this is a transitional season, and I'm. You know, a lot of this is probably like sky is falling shit that we're saying right now, and I get that, mm-hmm. but. We really need to see something from someone to well, just to just change the course, not even the course of the season in terms of like standings, because I think it's lights out. That that's yeah. just me, and I'm, yeah. that's okay because my expectation was never very high to begin with. But it you know to, it'll be tough it's, to close out the season this week because there's only what 19 games left. Yeah, it's it's the waves, man. It's the waves. I can tolerate good losses. I can tolerate good effort without results. I can tolerate seeing some progress. And I guess on the whole, there is. But at the same time, I want to see consistency. I think one of the hallmarks of a guy like Kopitar has been that even if he's not scoring necessarily, He's always in the game. He's always responsible. He's always playing well. Brown, even if he's not scoring, he's always forechecking. He's always hitting. You know what I mean? Like, I, I need to see this next wave of player who is going to fill that consistent role. And there is just nothing there. There is nothing but guys who are showing up for four to five games at a time and then going completely Casper and just nothing to the point where we have to talk about like, don't be so sensitive. If you get scratched, don't be so worried. You know what I mean? Like these are actual conversations that are being had that like, come on, you know, that's, that's more frustrating to me. I don't care if they miss the playoffs. I really sincerely don't. The fact that they were even flirting with it throughout this far into the season is, is remarkable. But within two weeks time, I feel like they have done, so much damage to the progress that they had made up until this point that you can't you can't undo some of these comments you can't undo the motivation behind these the pressers the post-game pressers and all the stuff that's being talked about because that is real that is real and that that exists in that locker room that exists in all of these players heads right now and that that's that stuff can can spread so fast yeah. Um, it worries me. I know. I know. Uh, the fact that every game is a four-point game 
is completely devastating mm -hmm. in terms yeah. of what happened in this past two weeks. Yeah. And that it's very easy to get buried. Arizona seems to just be climbing and climbing and climbing. They seem like they were dead in the water. Um, let me ask you, what were your expectations coming into this season? My expectations were closer to what was happening two weeks ago. Be in the fight for a borderline playoff spot and not get it because there were better teams ahead of you. However, what's happened over the last six games, more specifically what's happened over the last three games, is, is horrible to me, man. It's horrible. And it's because, you know, it, it's, it kind of goes back to what you mentioned. Like when they had that terrible game against Anaheim, they came back the next game and were just like, nope, that is not us. And now they've had three games in a row where I feel like it has just been snowballing. The, the bad mojo has just been snowballing. And that stuff is just, it's toxic. It's absolutely toxic. And, and I'm not worried about guys like Kopitar or Dowdy or Brown. Like they've been through that. But the younger guys, you have to be able to overcome that. You have to be able to, even if you're not scoring, play good, solid, fundamental hockey. And it is just not happening. They're ugly goals or ugly losses. You're talking about Gabe Velarde realistically getting healthy scratched because he's just been playing poorly. I mean, that's, that stuff is worrisome to me. I don't know. I, I know don't this, know. I know this gets, gets said a lot on Twitter specifically, but this next game against Arizona Forget standings. Like, let's just put that aside. Yeah. This is the most important game of the season, in my opinion. I've already accepted that this team is not going to make the playoffs. I have no problem with that. I talked about expectations. I even have the expectation you had. I was just, like, expectation-free. Mm -hmm. I'm going to enjoy the development of certain players. Kind of like how we did uh, after we drafted Kopitar. And we were just really enjoying watching him develop and watching at the time what we thought was going to be a core of like Camilleri, mm -hmm. O'Sullivan, Brown, just be like, let's just watch them all grow for a few and that seasons. Brings, that brings up a great point, by the way, for everyone who's talking about all these names that are going to be up and down this lineup. Like, think about those guys. Think about how at one point you thought Mike Camilleri and Patrick O'Sullivan and Alexander Froloff were going to be cornerstone players for this, for this franchise. Okay. So carry on. Sorry. Don't buy jerseys yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah, buy that Alex Turcotte or Kupari jersey quite yet. But I really do think this Arizona game, here's the way I look at it. There, it's one thing to always have that bounce back ability when there is no adversity when your coach hasn't called you out, when one of, the, one of the best players on your team didn't just challenge all you guys to, to basically put your balls on the line and compete in a game. By all means, a meaningless game in standings-wise, but I want to see how they react to this game. This mm -hmm. game tonight is going to tell me a lot about who this team is, and I'm so upset that Gabe Velarde is not going to be in this game because my eyes would have been on him more than most, but that's okay. He'll, he'll have his opportunity. Um, but I really want to see, really want to see how they react. I am thoroughly fascinated by yeah. the situation. It is the most interesting 
I'm trying to think of like what what else could be more interesting than this to me right now as someone who's been looking and watching this entire season at development this is a fascinating game and if I were a betting man <laughs> I would bet my money on the Kings in this game but that's also coming from a Kings fan yeah to be perfectly perfectly honest with you but I I have faith that they will react properly at the very least it will not be like the last few games i think at the very 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 least it will be a, a dog yeah. fight of a game so we'll see yeah well i guess um that's as good of a segue as any to talk about maybe why that would be different because there there might be some new faces in the lineup one specifically being brendan lemieux correct who uh the kings acquired about a week and a half ago at this point or whatever it was for a, for a fourth rounder. And, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it on the pod, but you and I have been obviously talking about it via Twitter and to one another. Um, I, I don't know. I didn't know. I should go. say I didn't know, or I didn't realize, or I didn't feel the need for the addition of a Brendan Lemieux into this team about a week and a half ago. But the last three games have shifted my opinion drastically. And once again, goes to show you that maybe these guys know this team better than I think they do. These guys being the, the administration and the coaching staff, because God, I hope so. That's, that's, that's what I have to figure because I can't think of any other reason why you go out and you get a guy like Brendan Lemieux. And I mean, I, I would not be like, it wouldn't have shocked me in any way if at some point during all these post-game pressers and stuff, McLennan, McLennan was like, you want to know why we got Lemieux? Go watch the last three games. That's why we got Lemieux. Right. And it, it would make complete sense to me. I would be like, yep, totally. Because you guys just rolled over. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Brendan Lemieux was a, 31st overall pick in 2014. He is the son of Claude Lemieux, who is a world-renowned, legendary asshole, but a tra the type of guy that you just really wish was on your team. That's the kind of player his dad was. If he's anything like that, minus some of the dirty shit Claude did, I'm not, I'm not for that very much, but not surprised that he, his son is of that ilk. I think the main thing we talked about this a couple of times, Vardy, we like why this guy, why now? Mm -hmm. But, but the team, when you look at it is so soft, it is such a, it's like a friendly team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the four check is friendly. Like we'll come, we'll lift your stick. We might put it like Dustin Brown will hit you. But can you think of anyone else on the four check that will go and just blast you into the boards? God bless Jared Anderson Dolan. He's a four-checking machine, but he ain't. He's not going to strike fear into anyone's heart. Ditto for his line mates. I think Grunstrom can bang a little bit, but I think I do think, and I think Rob Blake said this just straight up, just like we need, you know, an in-your-face type of player, someone to make you uncomfortable. I think that's the best way to describe Brandon Lemieux. He's he doesn't score much. He's, you know, for the type of game he plays, he's not very big. He's six foot one, but he's the type of player that when he's on the ice, everyone knows 
he's on the ice right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's dirty either. I think he's he plays on that edge. And I, you know, four or five games ago, I wasn't through. I wasn't overly excited to have him in the lineup, but I am right now. I am right now because he's the kind of guy that will, at the very least, spark some guys to do something other than what they're doing because it's not working. Yeah. And again, I would say that if we're a team on the level of like Colorado or Vegas or something, then maybe you don't need these guys because you guys, you know, the spark is going to come from the fact that you know that you're a damn good team and that you're going to, you're going to, you're going to fight them on the scoreboard, that kind of thing, you know? Um, but then even, even then Vegas has guys like Ryan Reeves on their roster. They, they're, they're, there's a value to, to a guy like that. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not sure what to expect. I mean, he's, he's not one who's going to go out there and play 15 minutes a night. He's going to get somewhere between eight to 10, 12 minutes a night, I think. Um, and hopefully he makes good at that. And he certainly seems like he's got the, propensity to take some dumb penalties and do dumb things, which I think kind of comes with that kind of player. Um, but again, when you're a team like this, that is still struggling a little bit to find its identity and find that tough to play againstness, if that's a real thing that they used to kind of have, it's useful to have a guy like this, perhaps in your lineup, who's going to, give you something to rally around, you know? I, I don't know what the Kings rally around right now, aside from every once in a while having McDermott come out and pound someone's face in. But McDermott's not that kind of guy, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that, I don't think you put McDermott out there when you need a spark, you know? <laughs> you put no. McDermott out there when you want your actual defenseman to catch a breather and you hope to God that McDermott doesn't screw up in that period of time. So I just... Again, I don't think he's going to, it's not going to necessarily define the fortunes of this team, but it might actually give them a little bit of, you know, hair on their chest, so to speak. Hope so, because it, <laughs> this flatlining thing doesn't work for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what that's, it is. It's, it's just, <laughs> give it's me a this pulse. Just, yeah, that's, that's all it really is. I mean, I think that's that's his role is to just be a guy who doesn't quit and hope that the other guys are energized off of that. And again, I have to figure, I have to figure that because this isn't this isn't a blockbuster trade in any way. It's not a salary cap move. It's not a you know what I mean? Like we no. actively gave up a pick to bring this player into the fold. And so I have to think that they looked up and down this roster throughout the last 30 some odd games. And they said, we are missing something. We are missing whatever it is that this guy brings. And the coaching staff said, get us someone who can do this, you know? So here we are. And we'll see if it makes the type of difference that they're hoping that it will, because he's, he's got this year and next year on his contract. So he's here for a little bit, which is, more than I can say for some other people who are on this roster right now. Trade deadline's coming up. Sure is. Monday is the day. I don't know. I think last time we spoke about like what we'd like to see. I don't know, man. I, I think I said like if they just stand pat. One I thing think, now it's pretty clear that they're going to be sellers, right? Like sure, I can't imagine what's going to. To me, it was clear 
when I said that, that they were going to yeah. be sellers too. <laughs> That's true. Um, so I still don't know who they would trade. Obviously, <sighs> Jonathan Quick, Jeff Carter, all these, the usual names that we talk about on this podcast. And last time we talked about them, I think general feeling was like they're better off you know, keeping Carter because where are they going to get? And he's just mm-hmm. a better leader than he, I don't know anymore, man. I, it's not even, <laughs> it's not even, a, I'm not even knocking Jeff Carter because he gets some chances. You know, I think he's, he's trying out there. He had I, two really good chances that Aiden Hill just right. flat out robbed him. Right. So nothing against him, but I think you got to do something. And, and, and it's not even about, you got to do something to, to shake the team up but i think you gotta if the if the writing's on the wall i think you gotta unload some kind of salary you gotta mm-hmm. make roster spots because this roster the way it's built like it's not good the personnel mm-hmm. people say you know people ask me a lot like what's wrong with the team i don't even know where to start mm-hmm. look at the personnel who's gonna score goals show me a finisher on this team the best finisher on the team is like 36 mm-hmm yeah. What do you what like who's gonna score goals? You can show me all the goal stats you want. Look at how look how we're not scoring. Yeah, no kidding. Look at who's in look who's in the lineup. Yeah. I mean look look who's breaking the puck out for these forwards. Well, look who's getting the breakaways and putting them right in logos or, or wide, you know, like you know who passed him that puck? Cal Peterson. A <laughs> hundred feet on his tape. There you go. We don't have puck moving defensemen. But I think I think they knew that going into this, right? I think like, so too. Right. I think so too. I my my comments are more for people who think, oh, do this and everything will be fine. No, mm-hmm. no, it won't. There's a lot of issues. Yeah. A lot of problems. Mm-hmm. This is like two years away from really solving problems. Yeah. And and I'd like to think again that all of these conversations that we're having now the Kings administration had them over the summer because otherwise you don't just take your roster with 9 million of cap space and don't bring in anything. You know what I mean? Like they, they looked at this and they made a conscientious decision that what we have is good enough for what we're trying to achieve, which is just incremental progress. Their goal clearly was not we need to make the playoffs this year because if that was the, if that was the goal, I mean, they had the cap space, they had the ability, they had, right. You know, the assets that they could have traded and, and made those moves, but clearly they saw where this team is and where it isn't and decided that we're going to run with what we got and reassess. And I don't know what that timeline is. I don't know if it's next season. I don't know if it's the season next. I know that it's burning people's patience. Certainly. And, you know, at some point when you're GM of this team for, is Blake going on his fourth season now? Fifth? I don't know. What are we on here? His third head coach? Definitely his third head coach. But that's what I'm saying, right? Like at some point, it's all hypothetical and it's all nice and you might be doing the right things on paper, but you have to have some results. And so they they made the decision between, you know, the front office and the ownership that this season we're going to run with what we have. It, I don't think the results were really the priority. I feel pretty confident in saying that because I think it's to see what we, yeah, what we have. Yeah. And yeah. it's all for the best 
if what they're gonna make the playoffs, they're gonna play Colorado. Yeah, the yeah, are, no. by the way, 15, 2, and 3 in their last 20 games. I'm feeling pretty comfortable about my about my <laughs> preseason prediction of them now. I mean, they are just a they're an absolute juggernaut. They're that such is, a beast team, man. I'm and I'm gonna enjoy watching every minute of them. I'm gonna go hardcore go as go once the playoffs start and i feel no shame in saying that like i've seen teams throughout my life that are like okay this team is the best team in the league mm-hmm. detroit's the old detroit colorado teams even tampa in the modern era um when you looked at tampa you're like i don't where's the hole like where mm-hmm. are the holes on this team but i don't think i've seen a team like this in quite some time where they're they're coming at you in waves and they have the puck the whole game yeah. and they don't mind beating you three to two nope. like the, because they're out shooting you like 50 to 15 every game they're out shooting <laughs> them like they're out shooting teams two to one every game is it's bonkers tampa they're... was good but there's games where tampa like you know the you know the shot count was was right there it was a one shot game a lot of situations like that it just colorado man not a mm-hmm. This is something else. Two years ago, Joe Sakic was being thrown into the fire as like one of the worst GMs in the NHL. I'll tell you what's been a great signing for them for trade. I, I can't remember how they got him at this point. I have to look it up. But uh, Nikushkin has been yes a tremendous player for them. Just I mean depth. his 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 advanced numbers are astounding. I mean just playing. Tremendous two-way hockey for peanuts. And just a super deep team on every level. Total buy-in to their system. Yeah. And, I mean, if you're going to do it, this is the year to do it, though, man. Because you've got a few UFAs next season. Most notably, Landis Cog is a UFA. Um, so. <laughs> Stars bought him out. Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, first of all, they signed him to a two-year, $6 million contract. Yeah. And then they bought him out. Colorado signed him to a one-way 850K contract. And after mm-hmm. his first season with Colorado, two years, $5 million. Yep. And he's he's an advanced stats darling right now. He's an actual stats darling. I mean, he's, he's doing – this is what I'm saying, man. There's smart moves, good contracts, deep team total buy into their coaching system i mean it is just it's playing well man it's just clicking everything's clicking. Yeah. some of the players they have andre burakovsky this is what i'm talking like, about these that, are great like these are awesome dude, like junas donskoy mm-hmm. is lighting the friggin' lamp what do you have like four goals in in two games the other or more you know and what then, the funny thing is? Like, Brandon Saad for yeah, Zadorov. What yeah. a great trade that was. Like, here's another guy who could fly up and down the wing. Devon Taves? What a signing by them. Devon Did Taves they... was probably like the smartest signing for them. Yeah. I mean, just <laughs> I'm happy to see teams like that succeed. I really am because it's done through a combination of like drafting well. But again, this kind of speaks to how people want the Kings to be to be structured right because this comes up all the time these like projected lineups that i see on twitter where it's like every single draft pick that we've ever taken over the last three years is suddenly like in in the 12 you know look at a team like colorado who wasn't great for a couple seasons was able to draft guys like mckinnon rontanen and landis fog and that was your core 
it's pretty clear that was your core. Every other piece has come through trades of assets or free agent signings or what have you. Well, Nazem Kadri, the back Borokovsky. end was drafted pretty well. Well, that's true. Bowen Byram and and obviously Kale McCarr. But that's my point is that they they knew when to cut bait on guys like Matt Duchesne. Okay, they knew who was going to be their guy and who was going to be a guy that was replaceable with something better. They brought in, they saw opportunities to sign UFAs. They saw opportunities to bring in young guys who were a little bit farther along, but could still contribute. That's how you build a good team. And so this idea that like, we need to keep everyone and, you know, (laughs) it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. And in an ideal situation, Adrian Kempe would be like the, Andre Burakovsky or the, or the, you know, the JT Comfort or whoever for the Kings. But unfortunately we're trying to put him and elevate him into a role that who knows if he's ever going to be that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, my favorite Colorado trade might be that Kadri trade, by the way, hmm. of all the other ones. It's just such a, he's such a good mix with that group. What are they? Tyson Berry. Yeah. And Kerfoot. I think it was the. Mm -hmm. There you go. What are they doing? Well, Tyson Berry's doing well, but he's in Edmonton. Correct. And Kerfoot is in Toronto. I think he scored like his second goal of the season. Yeah. So. I don't know. But it is a good lesson in in patience, I think. Mm-hmm. we're bringing it back around to, well, it's, to also, it's also it's also a good lesson in not just patience but in you know you have to get a little lucky sure you have to draft a couple guys who are going to be real blue chip players and when i look at the king's prospect pool there's maybe two guys that i can think of that i consider blue chip players even though there's a lot of first round picks Blue chip meaning like it could be on the level Al- of almost can't miss. Yeah. It could be on the level of Landeskog, Rantanen, Makar, and McKinnon. Like who do who do we have within the only one that could get there is Byfield. Byfield. That's it. That's it. That's it. Maybe Kaliev. Maybe. Yeah. Kaliev is more of that second tier. Could right. be a, if we're lucky, he's Rantanen. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Colorado had four or five drafts where they got guys like that, that you knew immediately within the first two seasons that like, okay, we, we hit it. We hit it out of the park on this one guys. But I look back at our first round picks and Alex Turcotte, I don't know what he's going to be. Kupari. I don't know what he's going to be. I mean, we have no one on defense who's going to be anywhere close to Kale McCarter. No, the no might be a generational type defenseman. We have no one on defense who's going to be anywhere close to Sam Gerard. Probably true. So that's what I'm saying. This is <laughs> you have to have a little bit of luck, but you also have to you have to find these guys somehow. You know, they got Sam Gerard by trading a guy like Matt Duchesne for them. You have to be okay with you know that's how you build a team, man. You I can't think of a single team that hasn't benefited from trading Matt Duchesne. <laughs> <laughs> Almost to the minute they traded him, they became a good team. Mm-hmm. Colorado. To the minute. Yeah. They knew where their weaknesses were, and they knew who they could sacrifice. He was definitely there. My God, Nashville. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, 
I don't know. So I don't know what we do next week. I don't think it's going to be whatever we do next week is going to be for this season. Um, it is interesting that I think our one U- pending UFA or one person who's becoming a UFA also happens to be our first time left wing and, and I follow. And, uh, you know, you and I talked about this in depth with the, with the hockey royalty guys about, yes, he might seem like a good trade target, but he's also, you can get rid of him. And that leaves a pretty gaping hole in the Kings lineup that I don't right. even know who would slot in and fill. Right. Um, so let me ask you then. If you had to predict one trade for the Kings on hmm. Monday, who is it? Ooh. Who, who's going? Brendan Lemieux. <laughs> um, I got to go with Carter, man. You think so, huh? I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't, I couldn't even tell you for sure if anyone's going. Obviously, yeah. we're just fans, so we couldn't tell you that. But if I had to like lean one way, I, I'd probably go Carter. He's I think... He's got one more year after this? Yeah. It? Okay. So he's going to retire after that. Yeah. For sure. You could retain. And the Kings have no qualms there's about no, retaining salary. Absolutely. Like there's no issue here whatsoever. Absolutely. They have cap space and they have guys, they have Fanof and Kovalchuk's expiring buyout contracts coming off the record here too. Right. So I'm not worried about that at all. Um, I guess I follow as a possibility. Logic to me dictates sure, that they won't do it. But um Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. My, you know what? I'll say it. I think it's going to be Lazard. Trade deadline, huh? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think he, I don't think, I don't think he's done enough. Like they'll retain him if he's an RFA, but I think he might have some value as a, as a young guy to some team. What do you, I have a hard time like imagining a GM calling Blake and being like, calling about Blake Lazard. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think it might not come up that way, but I think it might come up in a more like, hey, I'm calling about who you have available because clearly you are this team that's not in a great spot. You have a bunch of young players. Yeah. And maybe he would be part of a different package. I don't know. I don't maybe. know. I Obviously, anything that we're going to get in return is not going to be a roster player unless it's a salary cap relief kind of move for a right. team that's close to the cap and is looking to add something. Um, but there could be some future pieces involved there and a, and a spot for spot kind of, kind of shift. Maybe we'll get Taylor Hall. <laughs> the most nonsensical trade. <laughs> yeah. Kyle Palmieri being kept out of the lineup. The crown jewel. Yeah. Expecting Palmieri. to get traded. Good player. I like, I like Kyle Palmieri quite a bit. Actually. Everyone should like Kyle Palmieri. Yeah. Um, Anyway, we've gone a little long today. That's okay. That happens. Episode 68. Yaramir Yager. That's the only one that matters because I don't think... I don't even want to play. Starts with a V. Whoever it is. (laughs) Starts with a V. Uh, So far, actually, no one's ever worn 68 in a regular season game. Perfect. Uh, I guess I guess Sammy Fagamo was given that number in preseason or something, but that's about it. Doesn't count. Cool. Um, clearly this is the Jags episode because deep down in our hearts, I think we're both hoping we get someone sometime in the future, anywhere near 
Oh my God. The talent level. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're not going to come on now. No, but I need Hold something. On. I'm going to, I'm going to flip the script and give you some trivia okay. on, this, on this number. Watch me get it wrong. I think Here you're good. I don't know. Um, a former King great before he was acquired by the Kings wore number 68 in the first few seasons of his career. Hmm. A great. He's a yeah, I mean, shit. I think so. What jersey era? The Staples Center era. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah Staples Center era. Not Ziggy. It is Ziggy. Really? Yes. It is Ziggy. Number 68 for the New York Islanders. I believe. I want to say it was his as a tribute to I don't know, but he um he wore it for the Islanders in his rookie year. Because Ziggy minimum. was Slovak and Jags yes. is Czech. Yes. Um, there's some great great images of Ziggy with the he even looks like him <laughs> to tell you the truth if you just google Ziggy Palfy 68 it's it's pretty outstanding uh, but then he switches 16 with the 16. Islanders yeah that's what I remember yeah there it is oh wow and then um, the old came Yofa, to LA with the old Yofa league. that's right I'm telling you it's like he's almost like Yager. Uh so two seasons he actually wore 68 how about that yeah um Came to the Kings. Can't wear 16 with the Kings. Yeah. So he went with 33. The greatest number 33 in Kings history. With all due respect to Marty McSorley. Yeah, I think that's Willie okay Mitchell to say. And Willie Mitchell and Toby Bjornfoot. That's okay to say. Better be. Well. So the Yarmir Palfi episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. You know what? Fine. We may never get anyone like Jags. I'll take anyone who's close to Ziggy. Hell yeah. How about that? God damn that's, right. That's achievable, right? I don't know, man. That guy is <laughs> so under the radar. Good. Good Lord. You got a couple of guys like that, man. Him, Dimitra. Just some tremendous. Yeah, but Dimitra only played like one year. But he was. He was really good, yeah. But Ziggy so was like, he was a top five to ten player every year. And never got that kind never of Never got it. No, never got it. <laughs> Upsetting. But it is cool that, like, he always says, like, his years with the Kings were the best years of his career. Does he? Oh, he, that's he sweet. He does say that. Yeah. That's sweet of him to say that. Yeah. Well, here's to you. Man, here's to you, Zig. You can find us on Spotify now. So yes, that's just, right. Just search it. See, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I know you're listening out there on Slovak Spotify. We're there now, buddy. <laughs> And you can find us finally on Spotify. No, I, right. don't ask me why it took so long. I have no idea. The simple answer is laziness. I thought it was a lot harder than it was to get on Spotify. Sorry. Apparently, when yeah, apparently when you have an established podcast, it's not that complicated. Yeah. Apparently, if you have an established podcast in roughly thirty seconds of time, Oh, it took me it's like convenient. at least three minutes. I don't know what you're talking about. And that's how committed he is to you guys. There it is. There it is. Don't forget this day. Yeah. But anyway, guys, please subscribe on Spotify, on Apple, <laughs> on anything that plays a podcast. You could drop us an email at thebannermanpod at gmail.com. We saw a new review. Thank you, whoever you are. Mm -hmm. Thank friend. you. We appreciate that. We appreciate the Twitter, Twitter interaction. 
my goal has been for the end of the season, I'm going to vocalize it now for us to get to 300 followers. We're oh, so close. Oh, so close. Then we'll make it. That's it. The then big... I'll be too, then we'll be too famous to talk to you all. Until then, <laughs> until then, until then, shout out to Mike Irwin for continuing <laughs> to bring the glorious emails to us. We'll see you guys next time. Yeah, and we post trade deadlines, so maybe we will, or maybe we won't have anything to talk about. We'll see. <laughs> Let's just hope it's a happier episode. That's what we're going for. Amen. Amen to that, brother. You've been listening to The Bannerman, an LA Kings podcast.